Let's thank Wayne and Lisa Powell for their work and their <laughs> ministry at the soup kitchen. Absolutely. They uh, just thank God they answered that call. It's been an incredible ministry for our church and one year. Isn't that cool? One year we've been going out there and uh, that's just awesome. I tell you, wasn't that mime team incredible? Wow. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I could just dismiss you now. You know, we've had church. We've, uh, God's just uh, incredible and it's been, it's awesome. I didn't know all the different things I knew all the elements that we were having today, um, but how in line they are with what we're going to talk about this morning is just amazing. Uh, we're still in word power. Uh, how many of you, whoo, it's been a tough month since we started talking about word power and watching our tongue and, and all that. Yeah, anybody uh, face that? I have. Um, uh, my wife, I, I don't have time to go into all the things that we, we have experienced since this has started, and I'm teaching a little bit on Wednesday night on the same thing, and so it's been, uh, it's been fun, but it's been really good. It's been good for me because it stretched me, and this morning I want to talk to you about encouragement. Um, how many of you remember the Peanuts comics? Peanuts? Anybody remember Charlie Brown? You know, um, In one of those strips, uh, Linus decides that he's going to write a comic strip, and Lucy uh, and Linus are kind of interacting in this, and, and so... Uh, he does his, his comic strip, and, and Lucy, being the big sister, he comes to her and gives it to her and says, what do you think? And so Lucy looks at it, and here's the first question she asks after she looks at it. She says, who wrote it? Uh, well, he said, do you think it's funny? And she said, well, who wrote it? And he said, um, he said, well, I did. And she said, no, it's awful. And so she throws it down. How many of you big sisters ever did that to a little brother or a little sister? Don't raise your hand this morning. Um, but... Uh, the next frame, Linus is there and he throws his towel over his shoulder and he picks up his little cartoon and he says, you know, big sisters are the crab grass of life. <laughs> and so, uh, all of you lawn care people out there, have you ever been, have you ever been the crab grass of someone's life? Have you ever, or maybe you've been the recipient of that? It's not very fun, is it? And none of us want to be discouraging. None of us want to walk around this life and, and be a discouragement to people. And so what I want us to do in the, in the time that we have together this morning is I want us to go to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at a man whose name is Joe. How many of you knew there was a man named Joe in the book of Acts? And he did some pretty amazing stuff. His proper name was actually Joseph. He was a Levite from Cyprus, but the apostles called him Barnabas, and Barnabas is his nickname, and do you, do you know, does anybody know what that nickname means? Bar, somebody said it? Son of encouragement, that's right. Were you in the early service? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it means the son of encouragement, and um, what was it, and that's what I want us to kind of unpack in the brief time that we have together today, what was it about Barnabas, about his life that made the apostles, when they looked at him and when they saw him say, here comes encouragement. This guy right here, I mean, he just, he just exemplifies encouragement. Some of you have been that in my life. Um, you have had other people to do that for you. I, I was preaching one Sunday morning and I had a guy come up to me and I won't name him because he's here today. 
Um, but he gave me a card. And on the card, I opened it up, and I don't even remember, you know, the outside had some little uh, nifty, neat little saying on it, you know. But the inside, it was what he said that meant so much to me. He wrote on the inside, he said, I believe in you. And I was like, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And I, I didn't even know how much I needed it until I opened it up and read it. And have you ever needed anybody just to come alongside you and not really give you the answers to all the problems, give you the solutions, but just to come beside you and say, I believe in you. I believe in you. My little boy, my youngest son, Hunter, and we have lots of stories that we could share, but we will not do that today. But he's, he's playing baseball, and he's a little left-handed guy. And he ain't big as a minute. I mean, he's a little, he's, he, he, I look like the Incredible Hulk beside him. He's a little bitty fella. And I had him in the batting cage one day, and I was throwing some balls, you know, and he just, I mean, he couldn't hit, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He was missing everything. And I could not figure out, I was like, what is it that I need to do for this kid that's going to help him? And so I threw about 10 more pitches, missing everything. And I said, Hunter, I said, you can hit this ball. There's nobody better. And he goes, all right. I threw the ball. He almost took my head off with it. <laughs> he, said, he said, Daddy, when you said there wasn't anybody better, he said, I knew I could hit that ball then. And I was like, wow. You know, it, oftentimes it's not, it's not somebody giving us something or doing it for us. It's just somebody believing in us. And believing that we can do it. And that's what an encourager does. And I want us to look at the life of, of uh, uh, Barnabas. I almost said Paul. The life of Barnabas. And let's kind of unpack this thing and look at what made him the son of encouragement. The first thing we see and the first place I want us to look today is in Acts chapter 4 verses 36 through 37. It says, Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sells a piece of land, he gives the money to the church and they distribute it to those who had a need. And there are some scholars who speculate that maybe in the early church that it was a communal type thing. I don't know if it was, if it was that, but I do know that, they, that community was a really big deal. You know, if you've got something that I need, I can use it. If I've got something you need, you can use it. My neighbor, uh, who lives across the street from me, has a pressure washer. I've never bought one because he's got it, <laughs> you know, and he's... But he told me, I, I didn't do it because of that. He said, look, man, I got a pressure washer. What do you need a pressure washer for? I got one. Anytime you want to do it, anytime anybody wants to come over and use it for me, I'll let you. But um, not my favorite job in the world. Uh, but the first characteristic of an encourager is that he gives freely of his resources. Encouragers recognize that what they have really doesn't belong to them in the first place. Haven't we learned that early on in this study? That what we've got, the things, the resources that God's blessed us with, they're not ours, are they? What does 100% of our stuff, who does it belong to? It belongs to God, right? He's the one that gave it to us. And so I love what 
Uh, well, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I love what two people say. Let me quote one, and then I'll quote Corey. Uh, Charles Ryrie, in his book, Balancing the Christian Life, says, How we use our possessions demonstrates the reality of our love for God. Did you hear that? How we use our possessions demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more consciously than the depth of knowledge, than the length of prayers, and then the prominence of service. See, I can get up here and I can talk to you about loving God. And I can tell you how I love God. But what really, when it gets down to brass tacks, where the rubber meets the road, is how it shows up in the use of my possessions. How it shows up in my checkbook. You know, you find out a lot about uh, what's important to people when you see where and how they spend their money. Corey Tim Boone said it this way. She said, I've learned not to hold on to anything too tightly because it hurts too much to have God pry back my fingers. I need, I need uh, Isaiah up here to show us that. What doesn't he do? His facial expressions are just out of sight. But she said, uh, it hurts too badly for him to pry my fingers back to get to it. So I've learned to live my life with an open hand so that God can put in and so that God can take out whatever he wants. And that way, I never miss a blessing. Amen? Number two, encouragers accept you where you are. That was another thing that Barnabas did. If we look ahead in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 9, we look in verse 20 through 22. Uh, this is when Paul was converted and he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And it says, All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoner to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And it says, and you remember uh, when Scott Smith was here, he actually preached. Y'all remember he preached on this passage of Scripture right here because they, you know, they, there were those who did believe Paul, and, but there was a plot that was against him and they were going to kill him. And they lifted him or hoisted him through a hole in the wall uh, with a rope, remember? And what was the name of that sermon? Don't let go of the rope because why? You don't know what's in the... In the basket, right? Amen. Something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, need the, I need the notes on that one. Um, but, but that's pretty much the gist of it. Don't let go of the rope, right? And I'm impressed. Man, the early service, all those guys remembered it. So you guys must have taken notes because you do realize you forget 95% of what you hear after 72 hours. Did you realize that? If you don't write it down 72 hours later, all you parents sending your kids to college, you better get them good pens. They're going to waste your money. All right? But encouragers, they accept you where you are. And so, so there, you know, there's this plot against Paul, and we understand why that there was this plot against Paul, right? I mean, it, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 7 that he was there when they stoned Stephen. Have you ever really stopped to think about what that death must have been like? I mean a stoning. And I, we've got young children in here, so I won't go any further than that. But that's a horrific, horrific way to die. And he was there. 
And it says in Acts 8 that Saul began ravaging the church. And what that word, the connotation of that word is like, uh, anybody have hogs when you were growing up or have them now? I, we, we did when I was a boy. And man, I always loved it when they got out, you know. And all you got to do is not feed a pig for a day and they'll tear your yard all to pieces, you know. They'll gnaw out of anything and they get in there. But that word ravaging is the same word uh, that we use for rooting, a hog rooting up the yard. He wanted to root out the church. That was what Paul, that's what his intent was. But we see in Acts chapter 9 as he's come to Christ and he's living for him and he's telling everybody about him and there's a plot against him. There's a man who comes along. A man named Joseph whose nickname is Son of Encouragement. And he comes alongside Paul. And the, and the Bible says, and I love it, it says, But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus and so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. You ever had somebody come alongside of you when it was tough, when times were difficult in your life, and there was somebody... I've prayed this prayer over people because I've had it prayed over me. God, give, give them favor with men. And see, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, I mean, he had some clout because that was his nickname, Right? That's how they knew him. They knew he was an encourager. They knew he was a man when he spoke that you, you could, it carried weight. You could trust what he said. And so the son of encouragement puts his arm around Paul and says, this guy, what he says has happened in his life, has happened in his life. And they're like, oh, okay. It's like when I came here, lo those many years ago, and I, when I first started visiting people in the church, Pastor Farrell went with me, to every visit that we went on. You know why? Because he was encouraging the people. You can trust this little wiry fella. You know? He's okay. He won't bite you or nothing. And uh, it, it helped and it, it encouraged people and it was an encouragement to me. So the second characteristic is that encouragers accept people though where they are. That's what Barnabas did with Paul. He said, look, I know all the stories. I know about his past. I know what everybody said about him and I know that most of it's true. But I know what Jesus has done in his life. And that's all that matters to me right now. In this moment, nothing else matters. Some of you lifted your hands today. Some of you said, God, I want you to heal me. I want you to restore me. I want you to deliver my home. I want you to deliver my marriage. Some of you lifted your hand, though, and you said, God, I want you to heal my heart. I've never let you in. And I want you to do that. And I want you to know something today. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you ask God to do that, guess what he did? He, he put his arm around you and he said, I accept you right where you are. And I love you. And I forgive you. That's what encouragers do. And that's what, that's what Barnabas did. They're the kind of people who don't look at your reputation or your past. But they look at what God has done in your life. And they offer that love and forgiveness. One of our modern day, uh, a modern day Barnabas that we could look at is a man by the name of Chuck Colson. You ever, or actually he's a modern day Paul. He had a Barnabas come up beside him. Has anybody ever heard of Chuck Colson? Prison Fellowship Ministries. Um, 
incredible guy. He's on the radio. He's done all kinds of stuff. But he, was, he worked on staff with Nixon. Did y'all know that? And he was all up in the middle of the Watergate scandal. And he actually was imprisoned in 1973 because of that. And uh, there's a lot of details that we could tell about it. But um, somebody came alongside Chuck. He had been in prison. He got out and he was doing work. That's why his heart is for prison fellowship because he had been there. But somebody walked up alongside him and said, this guy right here, I know what they've said about him. I mean, they talked like he was ruthless and cutthroat. But somebody came up beside him and he said, this guy right here, he's all right. You can trust him. I know what God's done in his life. I've seen the fruit of it. And Barnabas did that with Paul. And you know what we have because he did so? We got half the New Testament. Because a man named Barnabas was obedient to God and believed God for what he said he would do. He, when God said, I'll deliver you, I'll set you free, I'll forgive you of your sins if you ask me, he believed that God would do that. And because of that, we have what, the writings of the New Testament by Paul. Encouragers, thirdly, get excited about the progress of others. They get excited about the progress of others. It says in verse 19 of chapter 11 of the book of Acts that uh, there were people that were scattered because of the persecution uh, that they had been under uh, or, or in connection with Stephen, rather. And so they had gone around and, and there were men in Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks and telling them of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had talked to so many people, and so many people had come to Christ, they needed a follow-up plan. They're like, we ain't never had this problem before. We got all these Greeks that are coming to Jesus. We need to follow up with them. We need to check on them and see how things are going. And so they sent a perfect person. They sent the son of encouragement. And it says in the Bible there that Barnabas went, that he saw what was happening and saw that it was good and encouraged them in the work that they were doing for the Lord. When you see a church getting it done for Jesus, encourage that church. Don't look at them and go, well, you ain't got what I, we got down here and we're doing this and that and other down there. Whitley and, and Preston, North Carolina. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're all, you know the one-upper guy? Don't be a one-upper, all right? Somebody tells you something awesome that God's doing in their life or doing in their church, don't be the guy that goes, yeah, well, you think that's awesome? One, one guy got saved at your church. Man, we had 450,000 got saved at our church. And we didn't have that many people in our community, okay? So don't be that guy. Be excited about the progress of others. Encourage them. When, when you see the kingdom being expanded, get excited about that. Get excited about that. If there's somebody, look, if you're ministering alongside somebody and they're maybe gifted in an area that you're not as gifted, let them take the lead in that. And you come back and, man, you be the guy that goes, yeah, you know what? I noticed that. <laughs> He's good. He's better than me. Go, go on with it. Yeah. All those people coming to Jesus. And I knew him when, you know? I mean, but, but don't be, oh, my goodness, please don't be that way. Please don't look at the progress of the church and then start, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Because it's not your thing. I'm sorry.
Come here. Ah, I think I almost spit my uvula out. So, <clears throat> you got to be preaching hard for that to happen now. <laughs> Number four, encouragers give others a second chance. <clears throat> encouragers give others a second chance. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, I'm not going to read the passage because we're out of time. But it's when uh, Paul and Barnabas come back from the missionary journey. And you remember in, that, in the course of that missionary journey, John Mark started with them in that first missionary journey, but he left. Paul wasn't real happy about that. Okay, Read it yourself. Read it, read it in the book of Acts. Paul wasn't real excited about it. And... Uh, they come back and they decide, you know, we need to follow up on all these other churches that we visited and all these other places that we've been and see how they're doing. And so Barnabas said, well, I want to take John Mark with me. And Paul said, mm-mm, no. You know, mama's boy or whatever it was, whatever reason it was that he didn't, he said, no. I don't, uh, I don't want him going and... and Barnabas was like, uh, yeah, I really, really want him to come with me. And they said the dispute was so strong that Paul and Barnabas went separate ways, right? Paul took Silas with him, and they were thrown into prison. And listen, because Barnabas was an encourager, and he took John Mark with him, Paul and Silas were imprisoned and were able to lead that jailer and his family in the wee hours of the morning to Jesus because he gave others a second chance. God is a God of second chances. He is a God of second chances. I see it, I've studied a lot of different people. One of my favorite to study is the life of Corey Ten Boone. She's an amazing woman. When she got out of the concentration camps, she went to a hospital, and as she was recovering from all that she had been through, one of the things that she said was so vital to her recovery was that she could see grass growing and flowers blooming and butterflies flying around. She didn't see any of that in the concentration camps. It was all concrete and just, you know, you've seen, I mean, the movies we see can't even begin to touch how horrible that was they, they, they estimate that 26 million people died in those concentration camps including her father and her sister she made it out she got healed got well physically God was working in her emotionally and spiritually she went back home to Holland I think they were clock makers or something like that and uh, she went back home uh, to the, to the house where they had been taken from. And there was a woman who came up to her and met her and said, God has told me that I'm supposed to give you my house. My son has been taken captive, but when he comes home, because he's coming home, I'm supposed to give you my house. And she was not very comfortable with that because she felt like that the woman had made a deal with God, you know. It's like, okay, if you bring, have you ever done that? All right, God, if you come through on this, you know. Sometimes it's on a smaller scale, but we tend to do that sometimes. And it's funny because God is so big, and it's like, it's not let's make a deal, okay? He's not a spiritual Santa Claus. But that wasn't the thing. The woman had really heard from God, and so four days after she told 
Corey Tim Boone that, her son came home. She gave Corey Tim Boone a 56-room mansion. And in turn, Corey started bringing people that had been in the concentration camps into that home with her. But there was, a, there was an interesting thing that happened after, after that occupation and after that reign. The people who were the hunters became the hunted. Does that make sense to you? There was a, uh, they, they were called the National Socialist Bond. They were the guards who had taken these people from their homes. They were the ones who, they, as a matter of fact, there's a, in, in some of uh, the accounts and the biography from Corey Tim Boone, she says there was actually a man after she got out that she met, and when she heard him speak, she recognized his voice. At one of the, he was one of the men who would taunt the women as they were escorted into the showers, and of course they were humiliated in that process. And he even taunted her in front of her own father. And when she heard his voice, all this anger welled up inside of her. But she recognized, God's done all this in my life. I've got to forgive this man. And so the remarkable thing, if you remember nothing else about what I'm telling you today, not only did she care for those that had been in the same boat she had been as prisoners in that camp, but she also reached out to the NSB. And she started taking those guys in and actually brought them into the very home, her home place, that they had stripped her from and cared for them and protected them as the uprising occurred after all that took place and she was released. God is a God of second chances. Trust Him today. Receive the opportunity that He has given you today. You're not here by chance. You're here for a reason. And whatever that reason is, reach out and touch God. And let Him do in your life what He wants to do today. Father, thank You for Your presence in this place. Thank You for the encouragement that we receive from Your Word. Change our hearts, God, and make us more like You every single day. God, if there are those who have made a decision to follow you for the very first time today, God, I pray that they would do so. I pray that they with boldness, that they would stand up and say, I'm going to say yes to God. You are the God of a second chance. And I receive that second chance today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're a guest with us for the first time, don't forget your gift. Also, there's a table in the back. I have some literature back there. Love for you to get your hands on if you've made a commitment for the first time to Jesus. Hey, and don't forget November 1, which is tomorrow. That is our service, our first service at the Bridge Smithfield. God bless you.